Hello, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. Hi, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I'm the Fiscal Feminist. I'm also a managing director and partner in the Bonson Group, a wealth management practice with offices in Newport Beach, California, and New York City. So today, we're going to talk about women, employment, and the pandemic. Where are we and where do we go from here? Did the stimulus package help inequality or did it make it worse? So we are all aware that COVID-19 caused unprecedented unemployment for all people, all people, not just women, everybody, due to the shutdown, and the economy is struggling to make a comeback. As I discussed in a prior blog on the She session, unfortunately, women suffered more acutely from unemployment than men did. So I'm going to give you a little recap of what I discussed in the She session, just so that we're all on the same page. So in April, women accounted for 55% of the job losses and yet represented only 49% of the overall workforce. The unemployment rate for men aged 16 years and older was 13.3% in April, compared to an unemployment rate of 15.7% for women during the same period. April's job losses for women erased a decade of job gains for women. So even with employment improving in May and June, the net effect is that even accounting for the gains, women continue to be hit hardest by job losses. According to Pew Research, the official reported rate of unemployment may be greater for women than stated, with the unemployment rate in May actually being 17.8% instead of the reported 14.3%. What about the stimulus package and the CARES Act? Didn't that help women? The stimulus package granted assistance through stimulus checks and increased unemployment insurance as a stopgap measure for the unemployed to survive during the initial shutdown. The federal government also provided over $600 billion in financial assistance through the Paycheck Protection Program under the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Securities Act, often called the CARES Act. However, the Small Business Administration, which administered the CARES Act, did not provide guidance to lenders who would be distributing the funds under the act to prioritize borrowers in underserved markets such as women-owned businesses and minority businesses. Hence, it was less effective than it could have been because it did not address how the pandemic harmed women and minorities more than others. So, did the policy help women? I'm going to say not so much. According to a CBS News report, up to 90% of minority and women small business owners may be denied a PPP loan because banks are favoring pre-existing customers. In 2018, the average size loan for women-owned businesses was 31% less than the average size loan for male-owned businesses. That's according to Biz2Credit, which is an online credit marketplace. That indicates that there is gender inequality in the lending market generally. According to a CNBC report, nearly one in five loan applications from women-owned businesses in 2018 were in the service industry, about 20%. About 18% were in the retail business. Accommodation and food services accounted for 14%. Healthcare and social assistance, about 8%, and construction, about 6%. These are exactly the businesses hit hardest by the coronavirus shutdown that need help now. Without it, all the progress made by these women-owned businesses will evaporate because they won't be able to survive if they don't get loans. 
Women as business owners and employees are overrepresented in retail, restaurants, healthcare, childcare, and other service industries. They are absolutely on the front lines of this pandemic. We cannot have a gender-blind approach to fiscal stimulus because it results in an inefficient allocation of resources and exacerbates existing inequities for women. And then there is the other issue, the invisible labor issue. That would be the child care and care for elderly family members coupled with domestic work issue. You know, the work nobody pays you to do. So, a fact. Before COVID-19, women were doing three times as much unpaid care and domestic work as men, and they provide 70% of child care and married couples during standard working hours. This unseen economy has real impact on the formal economy and women's lives. This is unpaid work. The COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted that the maintenance of our daily lives is built on the invisible unpaid labor of women. Increased demand for child care and care of elderly family members is deepening the already existing inequalities in the gender division of labor. In the blog, um, I have a chart that I'm going to describe to you because I think it's a really good chart. And um, it is by the United Nations that they put out in April uh, 2020, and it's called The Impact of COVID-19 on Women. And it basically says that unpaid care and domestic work performed by women is critical for sustaining societies, has immense economic value, and needs to be supported through adequate policies. And it is showing that women spend about 4.1 hours per day on unpaid care and domestic work compared to men who spend 1.7 hours per day. It's also showing that women's unpaid contributions to health care equate to 2.35% of global GDP or the equivalent of $1.5 trillion. That's $1.5 trillion of free work. And finally, when women's contribution to all types of care, not just health care or, you know, is considered, this figure rises to $11 trillion. So if we don't help women with the child care and the elderly care issue, they will work less or step away from the workforce due to these responsibilities. And this will have a detrimental financial effect, not only on women, but their children and the economy in general. So how can we fix this infinite loop of inequality that seems to be occurring with our COVID-19 response? Women's unpaid care and domestic work is a recognized driver of inequality. According to the UN report, it has a direct link to wage inequality, lower income, poor education outcomes, and physical and mental health stressors. The unpaid and invisible labor in this sector has been exacerbated exponentially by the COVID-19 pandemic. That's what the UN says. The pandemic has made it crystal clear that the daily functioning of families, communities, and the formal economy is dependent on women's invisible work. Their unpaid work is not infinitely elastic. We cannot continue to stretch women's capacity to patch up the holes of providing childcare and domestic work ad infinitum. I mean, at some point, it's going to break. We need immediate steps to ensure that the effects of COVID-19 do not reverse the progress women have achieved in the labor force participation. How government policies and investments are formulated matter. For example, after the 2008 financial crisis, support measures were directed towards large infrastructure projects that employ men, 
while jobs were cut in teaching, nursing, and public services, all women-intensive industries. So once again, when that happened, women took another step back because there was no opportunity for them. So what type of measures can we do to fix this? One, gender budgeting with economic policy and initiatives. Mitigating the damage from COVID-19 without a gender lens dilutes the efficacy of the action. We cannot prosper as an economy if half of the population is ignored and treated inequitably. According to a pipeline report, we could unlock $12 trillion in economic gains by closing the gender equity gap. Let's place gender as the center of some fiscal policy creation. We could create a woman's budget. Gender disaggregate all economic data, i.e. separate out the information according to whether you're a woman or a man. When data is collected, disaggregate the information based on gender. Iceland, the Netherlands, Canada, and Mexico have already done this. Consider the impact. In 2015, Iceland abandoned a legislative proposal to simplify the income tax system after a gender analysis revealed it would have inadvertently widened the income gap. In Mexico, gender budgeting has resulted in funding targeted diseases affecting women like cervical, ovarian, and breast cancer. You could also use a gender lens to craft relief programs. Let the gender disaggregated data guide the policy creation, and we could focus on the quantity of jobs available by gender, including underemployment, focus on the quality of work, wages, and social protections, and focus on the most vulnerable employees, namely women. We can also have targeted economic stimulus packages that focus on women, subsidize childcare costs through wages or other government subsidy transfers or vouchers so that women can have adequate childcare to be able to work effectively without being stretched beyond belief. This is good for families and the economy. Some European nations already do this and they do it with great success. So targeted support for women-owned enterprises would help above and beyond what we've been doing. Improved education and training opportunities for women would facilitate the shift from precarious jobs to more stable and better protected employment. So these are things that we can do on a macro level. What can we do on a micro level? What can we do personally to move ahead? We all have different circumstances and demands on us, but each of us need to continue to fight the good fight to improve our individual circumstances as women. Educate yourself on policies that can help women get ahead and support them with your vote or participation in the effort. Try to advocate for policies in your workplace that allow women more flexibility in their work schedule or working from home. If you have a partner, try to establish some gender equity in the home with respect to care and domestic duties, i.e., share them. Don't be silent. Don't be silent on a policy front or in your own home. I'm not saying be confrontational, but there's no reason why we as women have to be martyrs and do all the work. We can ask people to help us, namely our partners or significant others, or we can speak to our employers about more flexible time and we can think about subsidies for childcare because it will benefit everybody. According to Rachel Vogelstein of the Council on Foreign Relations, as of 2018, We have a strong body of evidence that shows that women's participation in the economy is critical because when women are able to fulfill their economic potential, GDP goes up and poverty goes down.
So here's my take. We have more work to do clearly on many fronts, but women's equitable participation in the workforce can only benefit the economy, and we must continue to raise awareness on the issues that confront them from the glass ceiling to lending to women businesses to education for women, to funding of women-specific issues like childcare. We're all in this together, and it's up to us to spread the message. That's it for The Fiscal Feminist this week. Thank you for listening. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake up call for women, to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.